Welcome to Bandcamp. My name's Dan. And I'm Jennifer. And this is the podcast where we read banned books to try to find out why they were banned in the first place. And this season we're reading Ray Bradbury's classic Fahrenheit 451. Uh, as a little heads up how this podcast works, we read each chapter or section out loud, and then we discuss why or why not it's, it was banned just from that one little section. And because of the format of the podcast, everything we are about to read is technically a spoiler because neither of us have read the book and we're literally reading the book. So if that bothers you uh, and you don't want any spoilers, jump back to the beginning of season two and start with uh, chapter one and you can catch up with us. Otherwise, should I give you a quick recap of what happened? That would be great. So last episode was a monumental episode. There is no going back. And when I said earlier, there are spoilers ahead. Oh, oh boy. Beatty, no more. Mechanical Hound, no more. Stoneman, <laughs> no more. Black, no more. Beatty, well, I already said he's no more. I, I like that he's gone. <laughs> Do him I'll, twice. <laughs> I'll, bring, I'll bring him up twice. Faber, still stuck in the earbud. So what happened, they went to a fire call at Montague's house. Everything broke bad, and Montague basically killed everyone. And he's on the run, and that's where we'll catch up, beginning right now. A shotgun blast went off in his leg every time he put it down, and he thought, You're a fool, a damn fool, an awful fool, an idiot, an awful idiot. This sounds like my own self-dialogue. <laughs> I guess Ray Bradbury had the internal monologue that a lot of us have. Not that I know it's Montag the character, but in order to write Montag the character. You must become Montag the character. <laughs> there we go. Look at the mess. And what do you do? Pride, damn it, and temper. And you've junked it all. At the very start, you vomit on everyone and on yourself. He literally did that, right? Oh, he did a few episodes ago. That's right. But everything at once, but everything one on top of another. Beatty, the women, Mildred, Clarice, everything. No excuse, though. No excuse. A fool, a damn fool. Go give yourself up. He should have some counseling. He needs therapy, for sure. He really hates himself. No, we'll save what we can. We'll do what there is left to do. If we have to burn, let's take a few more with us. Here, he remembered the books and turned back, just on the off chance. He found a few books where he had left them, near the garden fence. Mildred, God bless her, had missed a few. Four books lay hidden where he had put them. Voices were wailing in the night, and flash beams swirled about. Other salamanders were roaring, their engines far away, and police sirens were cutting their way across town with their sirens. Montag took the four remaining books and hopped, jolted, hopped his way down the alley, and suddenly fell as if his head had been cut off and only his body lay there. Something inside had jerked him to a halt and flopped him down. He lay where he had fallen and sobbed, his legs folded, his face pressed blindly to the gravel. Beatty wanted to die. In the middle of the crying, Montag knew it for the truth. Oh, I totally believe that. Why do you think that? I think Beatty was tortured. I think he was like Montag at one point in his life, and he chose the dark side. I mean, sometimes when I see a really evil person, I don't feel like I don't feel bad for them, but I'm like, it must suck to be them. 
perfect call. It was the perfect <laughs> call. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it must suck to be a bad person. Think of how horrible you would feel. At least I would feel horrible. I feel horrible being a good person. I know I'm a good person, but I I, I do that thing where I'm like, ah, idiot, stupid, dumb, dumb, blah, blah, blah. You know? Well, well but I, so I saw not too long ago, somebody who talked, who, uh, who was uh, Rudy Giuliani, he's like one of his really close Somebody in his circle, inner circle, really close. And he or she, I forgot who it was, but they asked Rudy, wow, you're like doing a lot of bad stuff. Doesn't that worry you? And he said, nope, I'm going to hell. I don't really care. Yeah, I guess there are some psychopaths out there. But I think specifically Beatty probably was a lot like Montag because he, he recognized Montag and he knew what was up. And I feel yeah. like he knew that because he'd been there himself. Interesting. That's really sad. And it's just like how society just kind of turned out. Like you, you either can kind of have this crappy life where you are just kind of wandering alone or we can give you this really good job. Everyone's going to look up to you. You're going to have power. You'll be safe. You'll be safe unless some crazy one of your buddies kills you down the road. But yeah, I mean, that's, that is sad. And I can totally see it happen. I can see many people take that path if given that choice. Totally. Well, in any case, I'm glad that Montag did him a favor, did him a real solid there. By the way, I need to complain. So what, what people who are listening to this might not know, I have done this two times in this podcast, and I was just going to do it again. I was going to imitate Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I was going to <laughs> pretend I'm going to go, uh, like when you said, well, I'm happy Montag did him a favor. I was going to say, keep the change or something like that's what Arnold would say to a dead baby. Right. Every <laughs> time I do the Schwarzenegger, Jen calls me and she goes, weren't you going to do like you should do like an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice? I'm like, I did. That was an Arnold Schwarzenegger voice. Oh, could you try harder right now? Let's hear your best one. What was the one I did from the last episode to the hound, the mechanical hound? Time to go fetch <laughs> your destruction. Now, don't laugh at me. When you laugh, it ruins it. It takes everyone out of it, Jennifer. I need silent. Where's my master thespian sound? <laughs> Lord Daniel, stage swooner Raymond of the House of Shulls, master thespian and voice actor in the 21st century of our Lord. Ah. Looks like it is time to fetch. Your that was destruction. It. I'm not done. Well, the pause is too long. You know nothing about drama. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> okay. Beatty wanted to die. In the middle of crying, Montag knew it for the truth. Beatty had wanted to die. He had just stood there, not really trying to save himself. Just stood there, joking, needling, thought Montag. And the thought was enough to stifle his sobbing and let him pause for air. How strange, strange to want to die so much that you let a man walk around armed, and then instead of shutting up and staying alive, you go on yelling at people and making fun of them until you get them mad, and then... At a distance, running feet, Montag sat up. Let's get out of here. Come on, get up, get up. You can't just sit. But he was still crying, and that had to be finished. It was going away now. He hadn't wanted to kill anyone, not even Beatty. His flesh gripped him and shrank as if it had been plunged in acid. He gagged. He saw Beatty, a torch, not moving, fluttering out on the grass. He bit at his knuckles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, God, sorry. 
He tried to piece it all together to go back to the normal pattern of life a few short days ago before the sieve and the sand, denim's dentrifus, moth voices, fireflies, the alarms and excursions, too much for a few short days, too much indeed for a lifetime. <laughs> You're not kidding, Montag. You're not kidding, though. Yeah. Feet ran up in the far end of the alley. Get up, he told himself. Damn it, get up, he said to the leg and stood. The pains were spikes driven in the kneecap, and then only darning needles, and then only common, ordinary safety pins. Oh, I guess it's getting a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> and after he had shagged along 50 more hops and jumps, filling his hand with slivers from the board fence. The prickling was like someone blowing a spray of scalding water on that leg, and the leg was at last his own leg again. He had been afraid that running might break the loose ankle. Now, sucking all the night into his open mouth and blowing it out pale, with all the blackness left heavily inside him, he set out in a steady jogging pace. He carried the books in his hands. Oh, good. So he's up and running. But he didn't do what we told him to do. What's that? What did we tell him to do? Take the salamander. Oh, yeah, yeah. That. Well, can you use that leg? Which leg is it? The braking and gas pedal leg or the... I guess it doesn't matter. Like in a pinch, I could use my left leg. You know? Can you imagine? You are such a victim. You what would you just get caught... Because your one leg is is sore. Why can't, there's no way I can get out of here now. You just can't move the one foot over a little bit. I figured it out, Dan. I figured it out. I could use my left leg if it was a life or death situation. I think you'd be sitting there like, you dumb, dumb, dumb. You're stupid. You idiot. You're, oh wait, I can use this foot. You know, the salamander would have been a better bet because he would have blended in. He would have been just one of these other salamanders out on the road. Right. And he is a firefighter. If they huh. stop him, he probably has ID or whatever. No one knows what's going on because the only people who could tell on him are now, you got it, deceased in his yard. Yeah. You could just say a, a madman came and I jumped out trying to find him, chase him. Mm -hmm. He went that way. That's true. He went that way. <laughs> Look over there. <laughs> well, why are you driving this way? Oh, yeah, you got me. I think he went this way. You look that way. I'll go this way. <laughs> He thought of Faber. Faber was back there in the steaming lump of tar that had no name or identity now. He had burnt Faber too. He felt so suddenly shocked by this that he felt Faber was really dead. Baked like a roach in that small green capsule, shoved and lost in the pocket of a man who was now nothing but a framed skeleton strung with asphalt tendons. I'll, g I'll give Bradbury credit. The guy knows how to paint a picture. You must remember, burn them. Or they'll burn you, he thought. Right now, it's as simple as that. And I mean, that's true. He searched his pockets. The money was there. And in his other pocket, he found the usual seashell upon which the city was talking to itself in the cold black morning. Police alert. Wanted. Fugitive in city. Uh-oh. He has committed murder and crimes against the state. Name, Guy Montag. Occupation, fireman. Last seen. He ran steadily for six blocks in the alley, and then the alley opened out into a wide, empty thoroughfare, ten lanes wide. It seemed like a boatless river frozen there in the raw light of the high white arc lamps. You could drown trying to cross it, he felt. It was too wide. It was too open. It was a vast stage without scenery, inviting him to run across, easily seen in the blazing illumination, easily caught, easily shot down. The seashell hummed in his ear. Watch for a man running. Watch for the running man. 
watch for a man alone on foot. Wouldn't it be funny, though, if it said, watch for the running man? And then he goes, oh, shit, that's me. And he quick stops running and he starts walking really slow. Also, watch for a man walking slowly. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to hop. Watch for a man hop. Oh, come on. <laughs> Montag pulled back in the shadows. Directly ahead lay a gas station, a great chunk of porcelain snow shining there, and two silver beetles pulling in to fill up. Now he must be clean and presentable if he wished to walk, not run, stroll calmly across that wide boulevard. It would give him an extra margin of safety if he washed up and combed his hair before he went on his way to get where? Yes, he thought. Where am I running? Nowhere. There was nowhere to go. No friend to turn to, really, except Faber. And then he realized that he was, indeed, running toward Faber's house, instinctively. But Faber couldn't hide him. It would be suicide even to try, but he knew that he would go to see Faber anyway for a few short minutes. Faber's would be the place where he might refuel his fast-draining belief in his own ability to survive. Boy, the poor guy, he's beating himself up. I mean, one thing I think he's proven to himself is that he, he's like Gloria Gaynor. He will survive. I mean, he just killed four people or whatever, blew up a hound, got this far. You'll survive. You're doing fine. Hey, you're not the most artful guy. Probably could have done him without you know, fewer deaths, probably. But whatever. You're doing your thing. He just wanted to know that there was a man like Faber in the world. He wanted to see the man alive and not burned back there like a body shelled in another body. And some of the money must be left with Faber, of course, to be spent after Montag ran on his way. Perhaps he could make the open country and live on or near the rivers and near the highways, in the fields and hills. A great whirling whisper made him look to the sky. The police helicopters were rising so far away that it seemed someone had blown the gray head off a dry dandelion flower. Two dozen of them flurried, wavering, indecisive, three miles off, like butterflies puzzled by autumn. And then they were plummeting down to land, one by one, here, there, softly kneading the streets where, turned back to beetles, they shrieked along the boulevards or, as suddenly, leapt back into the air, continuing their search. And here was the gas station. Its attendants busy now with customers. Approaching from the rear, Montag entered the men's washroom. Like, doesn't, don't they have the helmets? Can't he be walking around with the helmet over his face? Does he go in and try to fit in and go, hey guys, I'm going to take a Snickers bar. Did you hear about that wackadoodle who like <laughs> killed four firefighters on some innocent guy's yard? Oh, crazy. I hate reading. Walks away. All right, well, that seemed normal. Yeah. Through the aluminum wall, he heard a radio voice saying, War has been declared. Oh, that's good. Distraction. Who's going to care about a murderer when there's a war going on? Yeah, he lucked out. The gas was being pumped outside. The men in the Beatles were talking, and the attendants were talking. And the Beatles were talking. George, did you see that? What happened? <laughs> Ringo says a chap killed four firefighters on his own yard. <laughs> Montag stood trying to make himself feel the shock of the quiet statement from the radio, but nothing would happen. War would have to wait for him to come to it in his personal file, an hour, two hours from now. He washed his hands and face and toweled himself dry, making little sound. He came out of the washroom and shut the door carefully and walked into the darkness, 
and at last stood again on the edge of the empty boulevard. He's really spazzing out now. I mean, I would be. But okay, if this were you, what would you do right now? This just happened 10 minutes ago. You're on the run. The entire, everyone's looking for you. What do you do? Oh, boy. No one ever suspects, like it's always the gas station attendant in the horror movies, but no one ever suspects him. I'd kill the gas station attendant, put on his outfit, see hundreds of people every day, you know, just you, you have your position. Your position is to talk about money and gas right. and whatever. But then That's what, what happens when the next shift comes by? Hey, you're not Janine. No, no, Jan I'm Janine. You don't you know just, your dog you're talking Janine about. Janine got hit by a car yesterday. I'm the new one. I don't love that your first move was to kill an innocent person. I'll tell you what I would do. Panhandler. No one has to die. You just put your, I mean, you look, get all grubbed up. He probably looks like hell anyway. He's just in a fire. I'd yeah. sit there on the side of the street, maybe get a couple bucks. Well, we'll find out what he's going to do. There it lay, a game for him to win, a vast bowling alley in the cool morning. The boulevard was as clean as the surface of an arena two minutes before the appearance of certain unnamed victims and certain unknown killers. The air what kind of sentence is that? I think that's a literal thing that's happening in the future, remember? Don't they have like, like an ancient Rome? You think that's going on in the future? Yeah. The monster truck rallies, they're literal bodies flying around. It's not just... I, you know what? I don't want to live in this future. I mean, it's reality TV to the extreme. The air over and above the vast concrete river trembled with the warmth of Montag's body alone. It was incredible how he felt his temperature could cause the whole immediate world to vibrate. He was a phosphorescent target. He knew it. He felt it. And now he must begin his little walk. Three blocks away, a few headlights glared. Montag drew a deep breath. His lungs were like burning brooms in his chest. His mouth was sucked dry from running. His throat tasted of bloody iron and there was rusted steel in his feet. What about those lights there? Once you started walking, you'd have to gauge how fast those beetles could make it down here. Well, how far was it to the other curb? This is like Frogger. <laughs> this I would watch this show. Remember that Seinfeld? Was it Kramer or George? I think it was George. I, I think it was George. George yeah. doesn't have a lot of wins. <laughs> so he's going to fight to keep the one win he has, which is getting high score on Frogger. I used to be so into this game. Getting that frog across the street was my entire life. <laughs> yeah, then you went on to... That's a good game. Well, how far was it to the other curb? It seemed like a hundred yards. Probably not a hundred, but figure for that anyway. Figure that with him going very slowly at a nice stroll, it might take as much as 30 seconds, 40 seconds to walk all that way. The Beatles? Once started, they could leave three blocks behind them in about 15 seconds. So, this is like the worst math problem. He's trying to do a word problem. <laughs> So even if halfway across he started to run, he put his right foot out and then his left foot and then his right. Oh, it just occurred to me. I think Beatty really did want to die. I think everyone's suicidal in this society because it seems like what he's saying is, well, people cross the road all the time here and they're, they don't run or whatever, you know. Oh, interesting. People are constantly jumping off roofs or taking pills. 
I'm just going to cross the street. Not, I'm not going to look. Ah, if I make it, I make it. If not, say lovey. I think so. I think everyone has a death wish because, you know, they're basically dead inside anyways. They know there's like something more. They just can't get there. Got it. It's a good point. And I also uh, have a plan here for Monte. Why don't you just wait until the Beatles pass and then cross the street? I think they're waiting for him. To cross the street? Yeah, I think people line their cars up and they wait for a pedestrian. And then when they see them, they're like, Wave them on. Pretend you're tying your shoe. Go on, go on. (laughs) He put his right foot out and then his left foot and then his right. He walked on the empty avenue. Even if the street were entirely empty, of course, you couldn't be sure of a safe crossing, for a car could appear suddenly over the rise four blocks further on and beyond and past you before you had taken a dozen breaths. He decided not to count his steps. He looked neither to left nor right. The light from the overhead lamp seemed as bright and revealing as the midday sun and just as hot. He listened to the sound of the car picking up speed two blocks away on his right. Its movable headlights jerked back and forth suddenly and caught at Montag. Keep going. Montag faltered, got a grip on the books, and forced himself not to freeze. Instinctively, he took a few quick running steps, then talked out loud to himself and pulled up to stroll again. He was now half across the street, but the roar from the Beatles' engines whined higher as it put on speed. The police, of course, they see me, but slow now, slow, quiet, don't turn, don't look, don't seem concerned. Walk. That's it. Walk, walk. So can you imagine the cops pull up and they're like, look at this guy. And they see this crazy guy crossing the street, talking to himself. Holding books. Slow, (laughs) slow now, quiet. Don't turn, don't turn, don't look. You dummy, I told you not to look. Ah. The beetle was rushing. The beetle was roaring. The beetle raised its speed. The beetle was whining. The beetle was in high thunder. The beetle came skimming. Oh, Jesus Christ. Is this it, the, the kid version of this, uh, Fahrenheit 451? <laughs> it feels like that. The beetle came in a single whistling trajectory, fired from an invisible rifle. It was up to 120 mile per hour. It was up to 130 at least. Montag clamped his jaws. The heat of the racing headlights burnt his cheeks, it seemed, and jittered his eyelids and flushed the sour sweat out all over his body. Gross. He began to shuffle idiotically and talk to himself, and then he broke and just ran. (sighs) He's such a dummy. He always does the wrong thing. Just calm down. He has a plan, and then he doesn't do the plan. He put out his legs as far as they would go and down and then far out again and down and back and out and down and back. So let's picture John (laughs) Cleese from Monty Python now crossing the street. (laughs) Totally. That's what I was thinking. He dropped a book, broke pace, almost turned, changed his mind, plunged on, yelling in concrete emptiness, the beetles scuttling after its running food. 200, 100 feet away, 90, 80, 70. Uh, uh, uh. You know that I am called the count. Uh, uh, uh. Montag gasping, flailing his hands, legs up, down, up. Legs up, down, out, up, down, <laughs> out. Closer, closer, hooting. Hooting. <laughs> Calling. His eyes burnt white. Now as his head jerked about to confront the flashing glare. Now the beetle was swallowed in its own light. Now it was nothing but a torch hurtling upon him. 
all sound, all blare. Now, almost on top of him, he stumbled and fell. I'm done. It's over. But the falling made a difference. An instant before reaching him, the wild beetle cut and swerved out. It was gone. Montag lay flat, his head down. Wisps of laughter trailed back to him with the blue exhaust from the beetle. So someone swerved? Decided not to? No. Mow him down? Well, it's the game. It's kids. They drove by laughing. (laughs) We almost killed that old bum. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, okay. Well, his right hand was extended above him, flat. Across the extreme tip of his middle finger, he saw now as he lifted that hand, a faint sixteenth of an inch of black tread where the tire had touched in passing. He looked at the black line with disbelief, getting to his feet. That wasn't the police, he thought. Oh, good thought. Jeez, dummy. He looked down the boulevard. It was clearer now. A car full of children, all ages, God knew, from 12 to 16, out whistling, yelling, hurrahing, had seen a man, a very extraordinary sight, a man strolling, a rarity, and simply said, let's get him, not knowing he was the fugitive, Mr. Montag. Simply a number of children out looking for a long night of roaring five or six hundred miles in a few moonlit hours, their faces icy with wind, and coming home or not coming at dawn, alive or not alive, that made the adventure. They would have killed me, thought Montag, swaying, the air still torn and stirring about him in dust, touching his bruised cheek. For no reason at all in the world, they would have killed me. He walked toward the far curb, telling each foot to go and keep going. Somehow, he had picked up the spilled books. He didn't remember bending or touching them. He kept moving them from hand to hand, as if they were a poker hand he could not figure. I wonder if they were the ones who killed Clarice. He stopped and his mind said it again very loud. I wonder if they were the ones who killed Clarice. He wanted to run after them yelling. His eyes watered. The thing that had saved him was falling flat. The driver of that car, seeing Montag down, instinctively considered the probability that running over a body at such a high speed might turn the car upside down and spill them out. If Montag had remained an upright target, Montag gasped. Far down the boulevard, four blocks away, the beetle had slowed, spun about on two wheels, and was now racing back, slanting over the wrong side of the street, picking up speed. But Montag was gone, hidden in the safety of the dark alley for which he had set out on a long journey. An hour, or was it a minute ago? He stood shivering in the night, looking back out as the beetle ran by and skidded back to the center of the avenue, whirling laughter in the air all about it, gone. Further on, as Montag moved in darkness, he could see the helicopters falling like the first flakes of snow in the long winter to come. End of passage. Boy, Montag is a mess. Montag gonna make it? I, I don't know. I don't I don't know if he's gonna make it through the night. Well, he has to have the will. I think he just I think that was that last scene. It was like he realized he wants to live. He wanted to cross that street. And he got ter- he was really scared when he almost didn't make it. And ironically, falling flat saved his life. And I think after that, he was like, wow, I'm alive. I'm alive. Clarice was alive. And then he gets mad at the jerks that just almost ran him down. You know, so so now that he knows he wants he's alive and he wants to be alive, I think it's prognosis positive. All right. Well, he's got he's got to get it together and make his way down to Casa de Faber. Move it. Focus. I think he can focus now. I wonder what's going to happen. 
you know, like, how is it going to move forward? Is it going to be a big revolution or is there going to be a sequel? I mean, the book's almost done. There aren't that many pages left here. Yeah, Fahrenheit 452. Yeah, good story in that one. <laughs> it's time for PPP, Problematic Points to Ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? So, Dan, in this small little sliver of the book, did you find that there was anything banworthy? No, nothing at all. Just a guy trying to get through the night, trying to get his head together. Yeah. Typical action-adventure. Is the hero going to get from here to safety, right? Exactly. But yeah, I didn't. they're nothing ban-worthy. The only people who would want to ban this would be like a tipper gore or somebody like a... Too much violence. Hmm. Volkswagen. Stop making Beatles look like they're killing machines. Ugh. That is really funny because the Beetle is like the friendliest looking car. I think if there was a friendly car contest, the Beetle would be number one with its nice little round eyes. Yeah. It's a little smile looking I like. Could see the, I could see the, that new little Fiat giving a, a decent fight. Yeah, but the classic, though. I mean, the hippies, they all drove the Beetle, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. All right, well, we don't have anything ban-worthy, but we do have something binge-worthy, right? Yes. It's our good friend Joey Held over at Good People, Cool Things. Have you ever wondered the inspiration behind board games like Outburst and Taboo? Or maybe you have a fascination with the supernatural, like how come ghosts never have feet? Maybe you want to know what it's like to work as a wig master on Broadway. We're figuring out the answers to all of these and so much more on Good People, Cool Things, hosted by me, Joey Held, a writer, podcaster, and guy with a soothing voice. And as a bonus, every episode ends with a corny joke. Listen at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And now let's get back to it. So that's good stuff. So, Dan, other than uh, our binge-worthy recommendation, is there anything else you want to add to this week's episode? Okay, now we're at the part of the show where you and I always stumble because we never know what to say to end the podcast. Again, we've said this from the beginning, folks. We're not good at this. We need to get our act together. But one thing I noticed, Jen, Many of the podcasts I personally listen to, and I know you listen to these two that I'm going to talk about, they end with, keep it spooky, right? Ruined does that. Who else does that? Monsters Among Us does that. What's that other ghosty thing we listen to? Jim Harold's Campfire. Doesn't he say something like that? Keep it spooky. Stay spooky. Yeah. Dan, we we got to come up with something. I don't want to just have a joke. No, no, no. I know. I asked ChatGPT. You know this AI? All the rage now. You've heard of it, right? Yeah. I asked ChatGPT to give us some ideas because this is where we fall flat every episode. I think our episodes are solid. Nice. Boom. Bam. <laughs> but where we fall flat, it's the very end and we need a catchphrase. This gave me 10 endings. I'm going to read one per episode. And at the end, after I'm done reading it, you give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. No, don't do that. You have to give me a noise because it's an audio podcast, Jennifer. You understand audio? I do. I got it. You need to come up with a noise, a yay or nay. Yes. So I want every episode to end with a yay or nay noise coming from you. All right. Got it. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So uh, just to catch everyone up, we just finished a very excellent episode. Uh, that little piccolo music or whatever the hell that do -de 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 is playing right now. <laughs> so thank you for listening, everybody. It's our pleasure to bring this podcast to you. And please like and share. Da-da-da-da-da. 
And always remember, keep the pages turning, keep censorship out.